Coming up on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast, we catch up with the captain of the Casey Demons, Amy Harrison. We speak with Mikey Allen from Scotland's West Lothian Eagles. Plus, there's our State Leagues wrap with Matthew Cox and Aaron Russell, and our focus on international footy with Brian Barish in the USA and Mitch Skelly in the UK. That's all coming up over the next 80 minutes. I'm Peter Holden, and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast, which is available through Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and now through Google Podcast. Just simply search for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. Or you can hear this podcast as a radio program Wednesday evening, 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne and on the RSN Racing and Sport app. And our match of the round this week live on RSN Carnival will be the VFL Women's Clash between the Western Bulldogs and Geelong Cats from Mars Stadium in Ballarat. It's going to be a ripper and we bring it to you live this Sunday from 1 p.m. To our first guest for this week, she took up playing footy with the then VU St Albans Spurs, played a further year when they became the VU Western Spurs. She trained for a summer with the Victorian Football League Women's Academy. Then she went back home to Gippsland. She played with the Maroons in the Southeast Women's Football League, where she would take out the league best and fairest. And now she's back in State League Football as captain of the Casey Demons. It's great to have on the line Amy Harrison. Amy, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, Pete. Yourself? Not too bad at all. Great to have you on the line. And let's step back a bit first before we talk about the current VFLW competition. It's been an interesting journey for you for footy. It's only, what, three or four years ago where you were actually just called to fill in. Yeah, so um, back when, what were the Spurs called? The St Albans Spurs, I think they were, out there. Um, we're sort of struggling for players a little bit. And uh, Ashley Guest, who is uh, now on Melbourne's list, as we know, kept pestering me to come down and um, have a game and uh, I was sort of committed to my netball back then and then eventually I had a weekend where it fit in and pretty much haven't missed a game since. And we should point out that you weren't a St Albans local by any means. You actually grew up in Gippsland. Yeah, exactly right. So at that point I was travelling back every weekend to play netball um, in Rosedale, which I um, currently still do when I can. Um, And so I was living in Flemington at the time. So St Albans really was sort of the closest club to me um, and because I was going to VU they had a pretty good association with St Albans so it was a pretty easy fit I guess um, to spot in there and yeah had a great experience at the Spurs and I'm um, very pleased that I started my football journey there I think. Before joining the Spurs was there any passion for the game prior? Oh yeah definitely um, footy uh, I guess was a big part of my life um, not in the way that I played junior footy or anything like that but all my early memories um, sort of in my court where I lived in uh, Melbourne was out kicking the footy um, out on the asphalt with the boys and those sort of things, um, kicking the footy around on the farm with my cousins. And um, I was very, very passionate about Collingwood. Um, and my dad and I, we never missed a game when we uh, lived in Melbourne. Uh, it sort of uh, died off a little bit uh, in the last few years, I guess, because we live so far away. But um, yeah, I was very, very passionate about Collingwood, that's for sure. Um, and I guess that's where, um, yeah, why I sort of got started in playing footy, just because of that passion I had underlying, I guess. As you mentioned, you played a bit of netball and still do with uh, Rosedale. So does your sister as well. And, of course, there's uh, images of you online playing netball with your sister and, and running as well. Has there been a, a sports theme throughout your family? Yeah, definitely. It was um, a huge part of our, our lives, I guess, growing up. 
my um, dad was left uh, as a single parent when we were very, very young. So I think his way of sort of um, filling a little bit of a gap in our lives was with sport, and it's something dad and mum were both passionate about when they were younger. So it was sort of an easy thing for us to pick up. Um, was sort of I got a little bit of natural um, athletic ability, I guess. Um, it's sort of something we were both born with. Um, so we always played sport. I was just saying to someone the other day, actually, I can't remember a weekend sort of in the last 20 years where I haven't been doing something sport-related, um, whether that be cricket, tennis, footy. Uh, we both do a lot of running. Uh, in the last couple of years, I've started playing lawn bowls with my dad in the summer, um, which is something I thoroughly enjoy. But, yeah, it was just a way to connect our family together, I guess, and um, that's sort of the way we've held our really close bonds. Um, and netball is probably the, the key thing that's um, kept us all together because my dad can be involved there as well. Um, but, yeah, absolutely love running around on the netball court with my sister. It's something I definitely cherish and um, it's something you can look back on in future years. And just stepping back a moment to your time at the Spurs, as you said, they are originally St Albans, then they became the VU Western Spurs. As they made the move, so did your career in a way that you progressed from reserves up to playing senior football, and then later you would join the uh, VFL Women's Academy. Going through that process, was it in your own mind that I do want to take that journey to get to the academy to see if I can be drafted? Or was it a case of someone else coming up to you, tapping you on the shoulder, saying, we think you're pretty good at footy, you really should have a go at this? Yeah, I definitely hadn't even considered um, being part of the academy until it was uh, sort of upon me. Um, I didn't even know the academy was existing or going to exist. And it wasn't until I got an email saying I'd have been invited to the academy. That was the very first I'd ever heard of it. Um, but I, like, as I sort of, I've always pushed myself to be the best I can be. So it was sort of just a natural progression. Um, but it wasn't as such at the beginning. It wasn't like oh, I want to play AFL or anything like that. At that point, the AFL didn't even exist. Um, but uh, once the AFL competition sort of did get developed, it was something. Um, I was pushing towards and it was just um, nice, I guess, to have the academy there to help with that progression. Um, and I think a lot of the girls that have since been drafted would say that that did that for them as well. Can you give us a little bit of an insight into the academy program? How often would you get together and what type of training and processes they put you through? Yeah, so I think, um, this is going back a few years now, it's testing my memory, but I think it was once a week uh, and it was based out of so I know we started at Princess Park or Icon Park. Uh, that was sort of the first session and we got put through all the fitness testing that they do these days, so the 2K time trial, all the agility tests, some strength testing, those sorts of things. Uh, we went through some kicking testing as well, I think. Um, and then we sort of trained in different places all the time. So uh, sometimes we're at... Uh, school in Maribyrnong, whatever is that, that's called, Maribyrnong College or something. Uh, there was a few out at Essendon and Carlton, but I think the base was out of Carlton and every week you sort of have a little bit of a different focus. You'd rotate between um, like midfield craft and forward craft and backline craft and the rucks would do their part. And um, I, I guess it was just about learning the basics of the game and not just learning them, making sure we had the basics of the game down to a fine art before we overcomplicated it. Um, and then at the back end, they started to progress into a little bit of game plan style stuff um, and teaching us about reading the game. So it was, a pretty, it was a pretty interesting sort of program, I think. 
Around that time as well, obviously, we had the first uh, AFLW draft. You threw your hat in the ring. Your name wasn't called out. What were the emotions going through at that time when you, like a number of others, weren't lucky enough to be able to get a spot on an AFLW list? Yeah, so it's actually quite an interesting time in my life. I'd sort of, at that point, um, before the draft happened, I'd decided I was going to move back to Gippsland, um, drafted or not. and so. Uh, when draft day sort of came around, I, was, I definitely was hoping I was going to be drafted, but I sort of, uh, if I wasn't drafted, it wasn't the end of the world because I, it meant I got to move home a little bit earlier and get back to my family, which is um, what I was missing dearly. So uh, I guess it was incredibly disappointing, but at the same time, there was almost a sense of relief because uh, it just meant that I could step away a little bit and um, come back and do the things I wanted to do back here. Um, so it sounds strange, but I'm sort of grateful that I I didn't get drafted um, at that time because I don't think it's something I needed in my life. Um, I'm, I was incredibly uh, proud of all the girls from the Spurs that I saw get drafted. Um, there's some excellent girls there that, that got picked up. And, um, yeah, I love watching them run around every week doing their thing. But, yeah, I'm pretty happy with where I am, to be honest. After that first draft, as you said, you went back home and you end up uh, pulling on the jumper for the Gippsland Maroons in the AFL Southeast Women's Competition. Uh, one of the few players to have experience at the top state league level and they anointed you captain for the inaugural year as the Maroons. Yeah, so that was a um, pretty great privilege, actually. I really enjoyed my time down the Maroons and um, I'll definitely get back there one day, um, whether that's next year or the year after, I'm not sure but um, yeah, it was just like a great environment to be around and um, not everyone sort of understands the dynamics I guess of country football netball clubs and like when you grow up with something like that, you do miss it when you move down to Melbourne, um, so what I liked about the Maroons is that they were fairly heavily entwined within the football netball club that was Trelgan or is Trelgan. Um, so you sort of got um, got involved with um, their programs as well. We sort of had a few sessions which overlapped with the men's football teams and things like that. But yeah, it was just more I started enjoying my footy again. It sort of got a little bit serious in that first year of the, the VFL program with the VUS and Spurs and um, it was just nice to come back and just play footy and not think about all the other things that are involved in it, I guess. That mindset certainly helped your playing that despite Gippsland not making it to the finals, you still took out the league best and fairest. Yeah, so I think I said at the time that I pretty much won it off a couple of excellent games and some incredibly <laughs> mediocre ones. Um, and I maintain that it's much easier to win a league best and fairest from a few great games than it is a club one, which was sort of demonstrated when we had our club best and fairest because I didn't win that. Um, but, yeah, look, I had I had an okay year. I sort of had my moments. Um, it was nice to have a run around in the midfield. And, um, yeah, it was just I had a lot of freedom about my footy, which is something um, I've otherwise never had really. So I guess that just sort of came out and, yeah, obviously got a couple of votes. But um, there were certainly some other girls in there that, probably should have been a bit higher than they were too. So what led you to step back up to the state league level again and to sign on with the Casey Demons program? Yeah, so um, I think I got a call from 
Todd Patterson or an email maybe, I think it might have been an email, just saying that um, he'd been looking around for VFL girls to sign and actually guessed and thrown my name in the ring for him um, and he was just finding out if I was interested. Um, at the time, I'd signed up for the trial day at uh, the Southern Saints, um, but I, yeah, sort of, I was arming and arming with it a little bit because it is a bit of a um, a fairly large commitment when you're coming from down here. Uh, makes for a, a lot of kilometres a week and those sort of things. So it was something I fairly heavily weighed up. My family wasn't really sure whether it was something I um, should be doing again, given how negatively it sort of impacted on my mental state um, a few years back. But, um, yeah, my partner, Amelia, actually, she's the one that sort of put the idea in my head and said maybe you should have another go at the highest level and just sort of see what you can achieve. And so I went down and I had a meeting with Colin Garland um, and I was I actually went in there with the mindset that it was going to be like Cranbourne and I, was, I sort of thought, I don't think I want to, I would want to play here. And I walked out of that meeting and I turned to my partner and I said, yeah, I think I want to play footy here. And I went to the trial day at the Southern Saints that weekend and as soon as I walked out, I sent Colin Garland a message actually and said I'd love to play for Casey. So, um, yeah, that's sort of how it came about. Now, the list that you've put together is an interesting mix. It's relying a lot on what I call the VFL-listed talent because for those that may be aware, as much as Melbourne's had the star-studded AFLW midfield, some have obviously, like Mel Hickey, now gone to Geelong, Curtis of the expansion period. Daisy Pearce having a well-earned rest after a decade of more of women's football and a few just uh, electing to play with their local club. So um, you haven't had much AFLW talent to rely on, and it's essentially players like yourself who do have that little bit of experience having to try and carry the load. Yeah, it is a little bit like that. But I think um, as a, as the sort of, um, let's call it the Casey group rather than the AFLW girls, the Casey group spent um, a little bit of time together before the AFLW girls came into the mix. And um, we sort of um, developed a, a really, really good group of girls. And I think they're all excellent leaders in their own right and we do a lot of work on leadership and those sort of things. So there's some fairly um, experienced girls in that mix, not necessarily at VSL level, but at like high level, um, like Division One leagues and those sorts of things. And they're girls that should have been playing VSL level. So despite how it looks on paper, I think we're um, quite a bit more experienced than what people think. Um, and we're pretty lucky sort of in that sense. Sort of our back line is probably the uh, least experienced at the moment because um, the girls that sort of have come into their own in the back line are getting pushed into the midfield and the forward line and those sort of things to fill other holes. But, um, yeah, I think our group's a bit more experienced than perhaps what people um, give us credit for. But um, those AFLW girls are really um, pushing that and they're a key driver behind that, I guess. And I guess on paper... The one and three position where you're at, one win, three losses, really doesn't reflect your season so far. It's been a bit awkward. You've had technically three buys, two for yourself and plus the general competition buy. Uh, the one win over Williamstown. Out of the three losses, two of them were by less than 10 points. And the third loss against Darabin, you were actually pretty level with them at half time. It was only just the second half they, they got away from you. So it's been, I guess, a season of so close yet so far away. Yeah, exactly right. So. Um yeah, going into that first game we played against Hawthorne, they obviously had a game under their belt already, so we knew that that, that was going to be a tough task. And 
Um, I guess not many people would have expected us to be that close to them, but we definitely weren't surprised by that result at all and we definitely thought we had our chances um, to win that game like we have with all of the others. Uh, I guess, yeah, the Darabin game, we just sort of got blown away in the second half. We just couldn't really stem the bleeding. Um, And then the Doggies game again, um, we certainly had our chances and we had enough of the ball. Um, We just struggled to convert there. But uh, given the performance of the Doggies the week before against Williamstown, I um, think we could take plenty of positives out of that game on Saturday. What's it been like having Damien Keeping come in? He came in at the very last moment to um, coach the side, someone already who is coached at the AFLW level. Yeah, well, he's clearly incredibly experienced and um, he's slotted straight in like he'd been there the whole time. He um, took his time integrating himself, which um, I give him full credit for. He stood back and let the line coaches um, go through the things we'd um, been doing since all of pre-season and then he gradually put his um, spin on all of those things and um, added other bits and um, sort of worked to further progress us as a group, which he has done an outstanding job of and um, I definitely don't take for granted how much knowledge he has and um, people like that, you just can't stop listening to them, to be honest. You could just, um listen to them all day and talk about footy because they've always got something that's going to develop your game further. And once again, you've been given the captaincy honours. You're leading the Casey Demons. How does that feel to you that over the past two years, two separate clubs have seen your leadership qualities and anointed you captain? Yeah, so that was certainly an honour I did not expect given the calibre of girls we have down at Casey, but um, yeah, it's not one I shy away from and I'm not really sure what it is, but I just try to work to get the most out of myself and um, if that means people think I'm a leader, then that's what they think I am. Um, I just try to impact others in the way that I hope they would try and impact me, I guess. Um, So if I have knowledge to share, I like to share it and I like to think that they would do the same for me. So, um, yeah, some people think that that just makes you a leader, but I just think it's being about being a good teammate. And we have plenty of girls that could have been um, made captain, but yeah, I'm very honoured to share that with Harriet Cordner, who's also doing an excellent job there. And one last question before we let you go. I recall back uh, two years ago, we're calling the VU Western Spurs versus Knox out at Knox. And I think that's where we coined the day when it was very cloudy and we spotted you wearing zinc cream and you copped a bit of a pasting from the commentary crew for that one. But do you still wear that trademark zinc cream across the nose? No, I don't actually, but not for any particular reason, I don't think. I think I just must have left the zinc cream in Melbourne or something. I'm not sure, but I haven't touched it since I moved back to Gippsland. Um the pastures down here aren't exactly warmer, so that might be contributing. I'm not quite sure, but uh, I still try and wear the long sleeves. That's something that's stuck. Um, but, yeah, the zinc cream, it's still living in Melbourne, I think. <laughs> well, Amy, thank you very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, and we wish you all the very best for the remainder of the 2018 season with the Casey Demons. No worries at all. Thanks, Pete. Now, last week on the program, we talked about a new women's footy side starting up in Michigan in the United States called the Motor City Muscle. Now we jump across the Atlantic to the UK and head up to Scotland, where there's a new women's footy side starting called the West Lothian Eagles. And to tell us all about it, we've got on the line the founder of the club in Mikey Allen. Mikey, how are you? Very good. Thank you very much. 
Great to have you on the line, Mikey. Now, I do detect that Scottish accent. So, first of all, how did you come aware of Aussie rules football? Well, I've got family in Perth, Australia, and I was on holiday. And I went to watch uh, West Coast Eagles play Sydney Swans. And I'll be honest, I just fell in love with the sport straight away. Uh, And my uncle told me that there was uh, a league in Scotland, which I didn't believe. However, Google, went on Google, found uh, a team called the Kingdom Kangaroos, and I started there. However, I've moved away from uh, from where that team's based, which is in Kirkcaldy Fife. I now live in West Lothian, and I decided to start my own team. Uh, I've done my coaching. I've got my level one accredited coach as well. So, yeah, that was it. And what year did the uh, West Lothian Eagles form? Well, officially we formed in uh, December 2017. We, uh, however, the team actually started as a like a training group. And that was in June 2016. So you've been around for about a year or so. Now, before we talk about the women's program, how have the numbers been like on the men's side? The men's side, it's been up and down. Progress has been relatively slow to begin with. But now we're hitting 31, coming every week to training. The guys can't get enough. We've got, I did my players, I did a player update now on the club records and I'm sitting at 49 guys. That is incredible numbers on the guy's side with only just a, a year or so in. So just to give everyone a bit of a clear picture, some might know where London is and obviously know where Glasgow is. Where exactly is West Lothian Eagles based out of? We're based out of a, a town called Linlithgow, which is just along the road from Edinburgh. So not too far away from that part of the country. Where no doubt, when we talk about Edinburgh, a lot of Aussies have gone up there to stay and to work. And obviously it's famous for the Edinburgh Comedy Festival. Yeah, it's definitely, yeah, you've got the Fringe Festival there. There's also a team in Edinburgh called the Edinburgh Bloods. We we played them on Saturday there. Uh, they've got 10 Australians in their team, and, uh, yeah, we got thrashed. <laughs> <laughs> but you got out in the park, which is the good thing to hear. Now, let's focus on the women's side of things. When did the idea come about that, hey, we've got to get women involved in the club, and, and how the initial um, uh, recruitment stage has gone so far? Well, basically, I was marketing to get more guys involved in the team. And the Facebook page received quite a lot of uh, messages from from women interested and just seeing what it's all about. So I decided, well, why not? Let's let's not just uh, let's not just let's go for it. You know what I mean? Let's uh, yeah, we'll invite them along and see if they like it. Sitting at numbers. And the women's, I mean, the women's program has been going four weeks and we've got 22 women in our players group on Facebook and we've had about 12 along to training. So, so it's, it's going pretty well as well, I would say. That, that is, I was going to say, very good numbers, 22 on the Facebook group, but to have 12 sharp already, they've already got half a side or at least a full side for a lot of nines football that gets played, particularly out of Glasgow. Yeah, that's what we play. We play nines. Yeah, so we've got, we've got a, a team there. So, yeah, it's good. And with that, how far is the travel to Glasgow, particularly if you want to try and get regular competitions? We know there's the Glasgow Giants and the Glasgow Sharks uh, there as well. Yeah, for us, it would be about an hour, roughly an hour to travel. So it's not too bad. So therefore, there can be regular competition, which is, I guess, something they've talked about in the United States where they struggle, where there's only one team per city and everything so uh, stretched and far apart with you. Again, an hour trip compared to those, obviously, in Victoria, it's like travelling from Melbourne to Geelong. So the, the competition is near and regular. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I think uh, well, one of the things I was speaking to the AFL Scotland president about was about actually seeing if we can maybe start a Scot- 
Scottish Women's League next year. And I'm hoping to get my team, uh, the Eagles women's team, uh, a game in September. That's what that's my, my aim. If I can do that, I'll be, I'll be happy. That's fantastic. And also probably some sides uh, from north of England as well. I think, uh, how far is it for the travel if you're looking at places like, uh, for example, the Nottingham Scorpion has sides. You're talking about uh, the University at Birmingham. They've got a side as well. What's travel like to there? Yeah, you're, you're, you're driving about four or five hours to get there. So it's quite it's, it's a bit of a longer trek, you know what I mean? So I think our, our main competition would be would definitely be the Glasgow side, but also the Edinburgh Bloods. They've they've also started a women's program, and so you never know we might be able to get a game there as well. So, well, that's good to hear. Have you heard any early numbers uh, out of the Bloods? Yeah, I think there's about four at the moment. Okay, so it's early stages then, but if they can get going as well, that would be fantastic to have four women's sides, at least going for a nines competition up there in Scotland. And to try and kick things along a little more, I believe you're hosting the Scottish Sirens, which is the nines that compete in the Euro Cup. You're hosting their training session this Saturday. That's correct. This Saturday, yes, at the Lithgow Rugby Club, uh, the Sirens will be along. Uh, so the my girls will get to meet experienced players, they'll get to meet the, uh, the national team captain and things like that. So it's, it's only going to be, you know what I mean, it's, it's mainly, if you, if you think about it, it's, it's, it's great for the promotion of the sport and it also shows how inclusive like the sport is, you know, because I know there's some sports as oh, you won't be able to play with Scotland or train with Scotland, whereas AFL in Scotland is very much open to anybody, you know what I mean? Just come along and, and play. That's great to hear, and, and fingers crossed, hopefully, um, if they do train well, maybe one or two Eagles girls putting their hands up to represent the Scottish Sirens at the Euro Cup in Cork this year. Yeah, that would be brilliant, yes. I mean, there's a few, I would say there's a few players that, are, that stand out at the moment. Uh, I mean, it's only four weeks in, but Christine Kidd, she's looking good, very keen. Uh, Vicky Boyd as well. But to be honest, all the girls that come along, they're, you know what I mean, they're along, they're keen. And they listen, they're really, you know I mean, they're really receptive to training and they work hard as well. And what has the number breakdown been between those that are UK-born compared to those that play the game that were Australian-born and bred that just happen to be over in Scotland at the moment? Well, for, for the women, they're all Scots that come along. There's no Australians or Irish or anything. Uh, for the men's team, we've got one Australian, a guy called Kevin Maxwell. He's our club captain. He's from Perth, Perth Australia. Uh, we've got couple of Irish players and everybody else is all Scots so it's it's brilliant for the Scottish clansmen national team you know what I mean that it's all Scots that, that we're actually you know what I mean that's who we're developing here you know what I mean so it's good for the national team and that is absolutely fantastic to hear all those born and bred players because not only is the opportunity for the Scottish sirens but cross fingers you can probably get a couple up as well for the Great Britain Swans when there's the European Championship next year and then of course IC 2020 yeah, definitely. I, uh, I've already got them in the uh, the Great Britain Swans uh, players group on Facebook. So they're able to interact with the Swans captain and coaches and stuff as well. So they're only going to uh, learn more, more and more about the sport. And how regularly are the uh, women training as well? And if, uh, if those are in the area that are listening and they want more information or they want to get along and train, uh, how can they do so? Well, basically, have a look on Facebook. Uh, Search for West Lothian Eagles, uh, and, you, and you'll find our Facebook page. Search for it on Twitter. You'll find it on Twitter. We put all the updates on that. It's the same with Instagram. Uh, we've got our own website, westlothianeagles.com as well. The information's on there. 
We train every Wednesday at the Lithgow Rugby Club at 7 o'clock till 9, so you get two hours. And uh, usually the matches are on Saturdays. But yeah, if you, if you, check, if you hit our, our Facebook and our Twitter pages, you'll get all the information you need. Well, Mikey, thank you very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you all the very best as you develop women's football and Scotland with the West Lothian Eagles. That's great. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time. It's time for our State Leagues wrap, and we're going to kick off by having a look at what happened over the weekend in the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. And joining us on the line, a league caller here at RSN Carnival in Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you? Very well, Pete. Very well. Uh, another great weekend of Swiss Wellness VFL Women's action, uh, and we're heading towards the halfway point of the 2018 season. And uh, it's looking like a fairly good fixture this coming round, but there's a few games we need to review first. And a few that turned the competition on its head. The first one was at Skybus Stadium in Frankston, where the Southern Saints, 6-2-38, beat the previously unbeaten Northern Territory Thunder, 2-6-18. But I guess you could say that win comes with an asterisk. And, and quite a significant asterisk as well. Um, coming into the weekend, for those that haven't heard, the Northern Territory Thunder were advised by AFL Victoria that they could only have four Adelaide-based players playing in their side or selected side for the week, uh, for the remainder of the season. Understand that there's still a bit of back and forth going on between AFL Vic and the Northern Territory Thunder. There were a couple of officials down earlier in the week uh, discussing what exactly that means for the remainder of the season. So no doubt we'll hear a bit more about that heading into round eight. But it did mean that that Northern Territory weren't the side that we've come to expect over the opening six rounds of the 2018 season. They were missing a couple of of their key stars. Having said that, the Southern Saints, as we've mentioned a couple of times in our conversations, they have been competitive. And we thought a couple of weeks ago after watching them against Essendon that they might be able to shake the cage against a couple of the top sides of the competition. They weren't able to do it in their loss to Hawthorne last week, but they're obviously able to get over the line against the Northern Territory Thunder. And I believe they had nine players under the age of 20 in their selected side on the weekend, and six came from the TAC Cup Girls Program. So a very young side for the Southern Saints selected on the weekend, getting the job done. They didn't kick a score in the second, uh, sorry, in the third quarter, the Southern Saints on the weekend, but they did having a, a thrilling final term where they kicked three goals. One, and speaking of three goals, Bahana kicked three on the weekend for the Southern Saints. Alsop, Arnell injecting a bit of experience into the Saints lineup. She kicked a goal. Drennan, the other goal kicker for the Southern Saints for the Northern Territory, Thunder, Roberts, and Sidundri, the two goal kickers on the weekend for them. Having a look at the statistics from this game, the standout for me is the hitouts. It was convincingly won by the Southern Saints, 43-27. to 27. Everything else was there or thereabouts. 28 inside 50s apiece, 97 tackles to 94. So it was really dominance in the hitouts for the Southern Saints that uh, provided them with first use of the, the footy and obviously getting the ball forward. We move across to our next Saturday game. That was Collingwood versus Carlton at Warrory Park in Oakley. The Pies victorious there, 8-4-52 to Carlton's 2-5-17. 
Carlton only kicking one behind up until three-quarter time. Most of their score coming in the, the final term where uh, you might be able to answer this question, but it, it felt a little bit like looking at the scoreboard that Collingwood might have taken their foot off the throttle a little bit in the final term and uh, allowed Carlton to get a couple of scoring shots. Their goal kickers on the weekend were Cox and Tilly Lucas-Rod. Bateman kicked two for Collingwood, one of their up-and-coming stars, also out of the TAC Cup program. Alexander, Stratton, Malloy, Browning, Emma Grant and French were the other goal kickers for Collingwood. It was really the third term where they stacked on the goals. They kicked four four goals, two in that third term uh, to, to really put Carlton away. Having a look down, hitouts again were a major standout in this match, 42 to 19 going the way of Collingwood and uh, the inside 50s, 35 to 24. So clearly an advantage there for the Pies, winning it out of the middle and going forward. Key disposal getters in this game. Edwards racked up 23 touches for the Pies. Malloy also uh, quite significant uh, for Collingwood, racking up 20 disposals in addition to her goal, whilst Cox was the leading possession getter on the ground for Carlton. An impressive day by the looks of things for her, Pete. Caitlin Cox playing a very similar role to what Tilly Lucas Rod would normally play. In fact, Lucas Rod probably sat back a bit off the pack in that first quarter. It looks like Cox is learning her uh, Tilly Lucas Rod style of game plan. So it's Tilly Lucas Rod 2.0, you could say. Uh, Caitlin Cox has been around for a little while playing out of Pasco Vale, then at Seaford, doing well in the VFLW, and hopefully we'll get her a chance at AFLW. I should point out for that game, from what we noted during the commentary, is that Carlton dominated the first five to ten minutes of play. It's just the ball was around their forward half. They just couldn't find a way to connect up and find someone to kick goals for them, really missing a Darcy Vessio, who's currently uh, enjoying holidays in New York at the moment. They do need to try and find another forward target. That's it. Collingwood let them off the hook as well, as Collingwood dominated the latter half of the first quarter, had about three goals from almost directly in front, and all of those were sprayed off the side of the boot and ended up in the pocket for no score. So it's probably a fair result in the end. And for Carlton, a lot of work, but they've got to try and figure a way to get a reward for their result. Uh, Moving along to the Saturday Twilight game out at Cranbourne, the Casey Demons, 4-4-28, had another close loss going down to the Western Bulldogs, 4-7-31. Yeah, we were expecting this game to be a bit of an arm wrestle between two sides who, of course, have got well-developed AFLW programs, haven't had the start to 2018 that they would have liked to in the VFLW. We saw the Western Bulldogs a couple of weeks ago get a good victory over Williamstown coming into this game. Uh, they were favourites, in, in our opinion, to, to get over the line, and they were just able to, as you said, 4-7-31 to 4-4-28. McLeod kicked two goals for the Western Bulldogs. Lachlan and Wilds, the other two goal kickers, continuing their impressive forms. Uh, whilst for Casey, Cordner, Smith, Bentfelsen and Newman were the goal kickers. Two sides that really have to get a wriggle on if they want to make finals in 2018. It's going to be a hard road, especially now for Casey, considering uh, they they are well off the pack. But uh, as we know, they've had both of their buys now, so they've got a clean run at it. Whereas the Western Bulldogs have got an interesting couple of weeks coming up there starting to build a bit of momentum. As I said before, they had a good win against Williamstown. They would be happy with the result. 
against Casey. And as we'll preview in a moment's time, they're coming up against Geelong. So it's a an interesting period here for the Bulldogs. If they can rack up another couple of wins in a row, then they're right back in the picture for uh, September action, which which we'd expect considering, as we've said before, they are the VU Western Spurs from 2017. Looking at the disposal getters on the weekend for these two sides, Smith was the uh, largest possession getter on the ground. She racked up 26 touches and six tackles. Brooke Lachlan for the Western Bulldogs was their highest with 25. And as we mentioned before, Hayley Wilds, who also kicked a goal on the weekend, racked up 24 touches. Both of them can continuing their impressive form over the last couple of weeks. Saturday night at Melville Oval in Hamilton, a game that we did uh, last year. This is the Pride game 2.0, a game that's probably come away with more questions than answers because of the closeness of the result. Melbourne Uni, 6-3-39, defeated by Darabin, 7-9-51. Yeah, in a way, kind of glad we, we weren't down in Hamilton because it looked like it was a bit chilly in some of the photos that were circulating on social media and the ground looked a little bit muddy too, considering the weather that we've had in the recent past. But uh, another good atmosphere from all reports down there that's building into its own event, which, uh, as we saw last year, was fantastic to be a part of. And if they can keep building and getting better down there, no doubt, hopefully in the near future, we'll be back down there broadcasting this game. But as you said, it does leave uh, a lot of questions, considering the the Melbourne Uni side we saw the week before against uh, Richmond in Bendigo, just we're, we're clunky, we're all over the shop. They didn't seem to be working hard. Uh, they come into this game and they are right in it, right up until the final siren. Darabin have had a couple of interesting weeks now, the loss to Geelong uh, and now and now this result. Yes, they got the win and in the end it was uh, by a couple of kicks, but it's, it still wasn't a convincing win that we were probably expecting from the Darabin Falcons on the weekend. Goal kickers... Hannah Mouncey bounced back with three goals after going goalless against Geelong. Uh, Giran kicked two. Simpson and Wilson were the other goal kickers. For Melbourne Uni, you had Price kicking two goals. Runnels, Angelus, Prasparkas and Gillespie Jones were their goal kickers on the weekend. And flicking across to the player stats. And in this game, Emma Carney, as you would expect, racking up the touches. 30 disposals for the Muggers. Uh, Prasparkas, uh, who also won the best and fairest for the Calder Cannons in the last week. Um, she racked up 27 touches for Melbourne Uni on the weekend. Leading disposal getter on the ground was Giran uh, with 18 for Darabin. And to Box Hill City Oval on Sunday, where our match of the day was Hawthorne versus Essendon. The Hawks 5-11-41, defeating the Bombers 2-1-13. And I think fair to say, both sides a bit wasteful. The Hawks on the scoreboard, particularly in one quarter, which they dominated but kicked a bunch of behinds. Essendon, who felt like at one stage they had a little bit of dominance in play, again, failing to find a forward, this time, to be fair, without Alex Quigley in the side up front. Yeah, and they didn't switch Hetherington to the forward 50 until very late in the game, which we was anticipating might have happened a little bit earlier, but... As you said, it's it's a similar story for the Bombers at the moment. Their second term, they dominated the opening 10 to 12 minutes of the game and they they just struggled once they got the ball to, at half forward. That last kick inside attacking 50, they 
it's almost like they weren't sure what to do with it. They were indecisive. They weren't confident where to go. And in the end, it cost them. They had a scoreless second term, as I said, when they had a bit of the momentum. Hawthorne going the other way were able to kick one goal too. And then even though not a convincing win, they were able to put enough of a buffer to uh, just dent the confidence of the Bombers heading into the final term. They ended up kicking 5-11, as you said before, so they were very wasteful in front of goals, especially in that third term where they kicked six behinds, the Hawks. So maybe a little bit of goal-kicking practice. They were missing McWilliams and Perkins, though, up forward. Um, McWilliams, we understand, just has a little bit of a niggle that she's trying to overcome, whilst Perkins was spotted in the tracksuit after being named initially in the side on the weekend. So just a a couple of minor injury issues by the sounds of things for the Hawks. Their goal kickers on the weekend, Mackie, Luke, Flanagan, Woods and Cam, whilst for the Bombers, Jess Trend and Valerie Moreau, a couple of former Eastern Devils, uh, the goal kickers on the weekend. If you're using the game as a measuring stick compared to when we saw these two sides in round one. You'd have to say it was an improvement from the Bombers. They weren't uh, fading in and out of the game as quick as what they were in round one. They were still a little bit inconsistent. They'd control passages of play, but it's really that forward line that they're just missing the crucial link at the moment. And it's a bit concerning considering Alex Quigley wasn't in the side Uh, from all reports she was playing local footy so it's not an injury that's keeping her out it's probably form Um, apart from her they seem to be using Kearney up forward that doesn't seem to be doing the job for them at the moment either Um, so it's it's a bit of a strange one at the moment for Brendan Major what he does with that forward six for the Bombers Hawks, on the other hand, they're just uh, racking up the wins at the moment and, and continuing their impressive season. The disposal getters on the ground on the weekend, Beeson uh, racked up 24 touches for Hawthorne, whilst uh, Michaelia Can, who was one, I think she made her debut on Sunday, racked up 21 touches. The leading goal, uh, the leading possession getter, rather, on the ground for the Bombers was Collier, well down the list with just 17. And the teams having the bye that round were Geelong, Richmond and Weemstown. Let's have a look ahead to round eight, a round that could just start to break the ladder in half and sort out the top half from the bottom half. We begin at Rams Arena in Craggyburn, Saturday, 30th of June, 11.30am, Essendon versus the Casey Demons. Feeling as if Casey need to make a statement here. If, if they are wanting to participate or at least shape the top four of the Swiss Wellness VFL women's ladder. Uh, they need to get a win and they need to get a good win in this game. It's an early morning start out at Rams Arena. Essendon are going to be hungry for a, a victory. So they'd, you'd expect them to be competitive. I'm going to tip Casey just purely because they've got a little bit more talent on their list with AFLW experience. Should be pointed out, Essendon last on the ladder. Casey at the moment, 10th. One win, four losses, but it's worthy of note that they've had both their buys already, so they have their full allotment of games still to come. Uh, Icon Park, otherwise known as Princess Park in Carlton, it's the Blue Baggers. They're hosting Melbourne Uni Saturday at 1pm. Yeah, two two sides that are probably around each other. It's hard to read the direction that both of them are going at the moment because Carlton were good while they had their AFLW talent in the side and have dropped away in recent weeks. Melbourne Uni, we thought they 
may have been building coming into the game against Richmond. That was a blip on the radar. Seemed to be okay against Darabin last week. So it really depends which side, which team walks out onto the park with the right mindset on the weekend. I'm going to tip the Muggers uh, just because I, I think across the board, they seem to be a little bit more balanced, at least on paper. Um, Carlton, yes, they've got their stars. It's it's the middle and bat, uh, bottom six that I'm just a little bit concerned about whether they can hold their own. That's ninth versus 12th. Moving to the game, that is 4th versus 7th. Swinburne Centre, otherwise known as Punt Road Oval, Saturday, 2.30pm, Richmond versus Hawthorne. Yeah, I think Richmond will be a little dirty that they had the bye on the weekend because they've just been uh, tracking very, very nicely. They're a side that's full of confidence at the moment. And I, I believe that on their day, they could knock off Hawthorne. Um, Unfortunately, I don't think their day is going to be this weekend. I think Hawthorne, um, yes, they got the win on the weekend. It wasn't the best performance um, that we know that they can produce. So there'd be a bit of fire in the belly to to fix up a few of their structures and and get their goal kicking right. Richmond are going to take it right up to them. I reckon it's going to be a, a, you know under a goal uh, the margin in this game. But I am tipping the Hawks. Strap yourselves in for Saturday, 4pm local time, TIO Stadium in Darwin. The Northern Territory Thunder versus Collingwood. It is a battle between third and second. And could have massive ramifications on how the top four is laid out, this result. Um, we know the issue with, with the Northern Territory Thunder. It'll be interesting to see whether there's any movement of that heading towards Saturday afternoon. Um, so watch the space in terms of uh, who will be able to be selected. Given the uh, the current ruling around that, you'd have to go, and I'll, it's going to be a bit of a shock, but I think Collingwood might be the first team to record a victory up in Darwin, the first Victorian side. I think they are a very good side um, from what you told me, from what you saw on the weekend and from how we've seen them develop over the year. Um, they are becoming a very versatile, a very evenly balanced side um, and are going to be incredibly tough to beat come the back half of the season. Penny Kula-Reed has got this team perfectly balanced at the moment. So I'm going to go with Collingwood in a bit of an upset up in the Northern Territory. Sunday morning, 11.30am at Point Jellybrand, Williamstown Football Ground. It is a battle of 11th taking on Fifth, it is Weemstown versus Darabin. Yeah, Darabin really needs a, a comprehensive victory here in this match. Williamstown coming off the bye and their performance the week prior against the Western Bulldogs wasn't much to be happy about in that game. They were very reliant on uh, Garner, Duffin and Brutton. Um, and beyond that, uh, really just struggled to, to gel as a side. Darabin... As I said before, they've had a bit of an interesting period uh, at the moment. They, they lost against Geelong. They had a win against the Muggers. wasn't comprehensive. Got a feeling that if, if they do have intentions to make the top four come the end of the season, Darabin, they just need to make a very big statement to send a little bit of a shockwave through the competition on the weekend. Um, I'm going to go with Darabin, and uh, I think they should be able to make the statement that I'm seeking. And finally, Sunday, 
1st of July, our RSN Carnival match of the day. On air at 1pm for a 2pm bounce down. The Western Bulldogs versus the Geelong Cats at Mars Stadium in Ballarat. This is a game of 8th versus 1st. Yeah, but it feels a lot closer than that. Um, Western Bulldogs, as we've already discussed multiple times, they seem to be building towards something. They're getting players back from their AFLW program, and that's having an impact. It's seeing them play a bit better. They're scoring a little more freer compared to the early rounds. Um, Whether those early losses will come back to haunt them remains to be seen. But uh, got a feeling that they are going to take it up to the unbeaten Geelong. They do have a draw amongst that, but they are, uh, at the moment, they haven't recorded a loss for the season. And even though it would be nice to get a reality check uh, against a a good side, I don't think it's going to come this weekend. I think Geelong are going to be too good against the Western Bulldogs and just pull the reins up a little bit on the the doggies' momentum. I think uh, the Cats... Um, as as we pointed out earlier in the year, probably weren't firing on all cylinders. And I think uh, the cup, the week off for the, the bye and then the, the Queen's birthday weekend a, a couple of weeks ago have just helped them tinker with a couple of things and get right. So expecting the Cats to get the job done, but I'm expecting a thrilling game between these two sides. Should be a great afternoon up in Ballarat. And the Southern Saints with the bye for round eight. Coxie, thanks very much for joining us here on our midweek show on RSN Carnival Digital Radio. We look forward to catching up with you on Sunday, 1pm at Mars Stadium, Ballarat, for that big game, the Doggies and the Cats. Yeah, and I encourage anyone out there that hasn't yet been able to get to a VFLW game this season. Round eight, it's the halfway point of the 2018 season. And as we've discussed, these games all have a bit of, uh, well, the The rest of the season hinges on these performances, so it's going to be desperate footy on the weekend. Good chance to to go and have a watch and enjoy an afternoon of footy. Time to have a look at what happened in the other state leagues over the weekend. We head out west of the WAWFL, where it was round 11 in the league competition, and West Perth Five Behinds went down to the Subiaco Alliance 6-13-49. Claremont 5-4-34 drew with Swan Districts 5-4-34. East Fremantle 4-8-32 beaten by the Peel Thunderbirds 5-6-36. And South Fremantle 5-12-42 went down to the Perth Angels 9-7-61. Looking ahead to round 12 action this weekend, all game Sunday Day, all starting at 2pm at East Fremantle Oval. The East Frio Sharks host Claremont. At Jindalup Arena, West Perth hosts South Fremantle. At Lathlane Oval, Perth Angels host the Peel Thunderbirds. And at Still Blue Oval, Swan Districts host Subiaco. To the Tasmanian State League Women's Competition, Round 9 played over the weekend. Clarence, 17-10, 112, defeated Burnie, 2-2-14. And the Tigers, no score, defeated by Launceston, 13-14-92. Looking ahead to Round 10 action, both games on Sunday, both starting at 12pm at Windsor Park, Launceston host Clarence, while at uh, Winehoven Showgrounds, Bernie host Glenorchy. To the Adelaide Footy League Women's Division 1 competition, round 9 played on the weekend, Fitzroy 5-4-34 were defeated by Adelaide University 6-7-43, Port Adelaide 5-1-31 went down to Morfordville Park 6-7-43, and Christie's Beach 7-7-49 defeated Salisbury 4-4-28. Looking ahead to round 10 and on Saturday the 30th of June at 7pm at Salisbury Oval. The Salisbury Magpies host the Fitzroy Lions. 
Two games on the Sunday, 2.50pm at University Oval, Adelaide Uni host Port Adelaide, and at Callot Reserve at 3pm, Morville Park host Christie's Beach. Let's find out what's been happening in the QWAFL, and joining us on the line is the former Premiership coach at Coolangatta Tweed in Aaron Russell. Aaron, how are you? It is winter in Queensland, beautiful days, slightly cool nights, great for football, and indeed it has going great. And indeed it has been, particularly down at Leishon Park, your old side, Coolangatta Tweed, giving Yoronga South Brisbane a bit of old, a nice touch up there, uh, 12.779-2.921. Yeah, getting a job um, comfortably in the end. Uh, pretty much kicking away after half time there. Uh, Lauren James, who's one of the Coolangatta originals um, from a long way back, had a fantastic game kicking five goals. Uh, for them, um, we still have yet to see uh, Cooley um, at full strength. Obviously, with the likes of um, Roberts and Finch and Kassler, um obviously absent in that side. Uh, again, Yvonne um, uh, still missing a couple of their their jets as well. So um, yeah, Cooley got his depth shown uh, too much class on the weekend and uh, haven't done their finals chance. Um, chances any harm with a with a win over Yoronga there, um, making it very hard for Yoronga now to uh, make the finals. At Griffin Park, Cooperu eight eight fifty six got over the line against Maruchidor three five twenty three. Yeah, probably a little bit closer than some had it predicted. Um, we know Cooperu's um, uh, a little bit battered up at the moment with, with injuries, and um, a lot's going to come down to how many they can get back on the park, who they're going to get back on the park um, come season's end. Uh, good to see Sally Young still rolling around out there for them. Um, but, yeah, too strong. Got out of the blocks early and, and sort of just coasted through the rest of the game there. Um, most of uh, Marucci Dawes' scoreboard pressure was put on in the second half. Um, Rachel Crack, though, uh, having a good game against her uh, old side in Tipperary, but now up the coast in Marucci Not a bad place to be. Um, but they uh, they couldn't get the job done and, and Cooper having an important win um, coming into what's going to be a tightly contested um, second, third and fourth place on the ladder, Peter. And in the final game of the round, uh, the UQ Red Lions 4-2-26, no match for Wilson Grange, 8-12-60. Yeah, look, we... we um, <laughs> yeah, picking UQ to, to finish the season strong Obviously, with the winter series going on up here at the moment, um, we've got players in and out of all different sides. So uh, they're, they're new look sides week in, week out um, for the minute. Um, don't get me wrong, I think UQ are still a chance. They, they're going to have a fairly hard run. They still have to play Wilson Grange one more time uh, before the season end, and they have to face the die where they won't score any points that round. Um, the teams they're trying to leapfrog at the moment is going to be Bond University. They only play one. Obviously, that's going to be a, a, a muscle game. But for you two now coming in, um, you really think that the only chance they have to leapfrog Bond is to win every game they have, um, barring even if they may drop the next game against Wilson, they may still make it in. But um, gee, I, th- I think I think if Wilson doesn't want to play anyone, it's going to be a full-strength UQ um, come finals end. So they'll be hoping UQ don't... <laughs> Sally up enough points to make it, but they were too strong for UQ um, with the depth um, showing through on the weekend. Wilson Grange, and they're going to be hard to stop regardless who makes it into the final feeder. Bond University there having the bye. Looking ahead to round 12 for your tips. First of all, on Saturday, 4.45pm at Corpshaw Oval, uh, Gullengatta Tweed playing host to Bond University. 
Yeah, must win for Bond. Um, as you mentioned, we've got they've got UQ and Yeronga hot on their heels. Uh, Yeronga needing to defend their title from last year. Um, I think a lot have written them off, but I think internally they'll be they'll maybe quietly confident once they get the likes of Bates and Zen Cheddar and uh, a few stalwarts for the club back. Uh, Battle of the Coast here, I think Cool and Gatter are in pretty good form at the moment and still expecting a a few players back, but I think they'll be too strong on bond, for, for Bond and maybe Abdul Camp for them on the weekend. Um, that should be a good game. Battle for the coast. We've got a bit of revenge after Bond knocking them off um, the first time they met this season. 4.45pm on Saturday at Maroochydore Multisports Complex. The Roos play host to the Wilson Grange Gorillas. Yeah, we know how well Wilson are tracking along. Um, you know, obviously undefeated, you must be doing something right, eh? But no, they're, they're tracking along nicely. Um, Maruchidor is almost a polar opposite season um, for for Wilson uh, compared to Wilson at the moment. They've got some solid young kids coming up on the coast. The thing is, can they can they keep them up there? They seem to keep coming down to Brisbane all the time. But um, Maruchidor, uh, yeah, got going to have their work cut out for them on the weekend against Wilson, and Wilson will be wanting to make sure they refine things coming to towards the pointy end of the season. Um, maybe even trialling some girls in some different spots. It's been a bit of an awkward uh, time for a lot of the clubs with the Winter Series going on at the moment. So, um, But I think that would be too strong for, for a mutual up there. And Sunday at 4.45pm, which means this game should attract a, a number of interested onlookers at Griffith University Campus Able 2, uh, the UQ Red Lions playing hers to the Cooper Kings. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, this, is, this is the game of the round. Um Pretty big implications on this game for both sides. You'd think if you two drop one of these sort of games going in, it's going to make it really hard for them to any jump any of the teams that they're currently a game behind. Um, Kukuru, on the other hand, same deal. They've they got a fight on their hands. So they're trying to stay in the four. So um, they've been tracking them fairly nicely considering. Um, currently, they, they do sit three games clear um, of, uh, of UQ. Um, but you know, as we know, things can turn around. If they don't, they don't string together a bunch of wins coming the season, they could find themselves in that fourth or fifth position. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, match of the round this should be a great one. Um, it's been a little bit of a rivalry between these two clubs. We've seen a few players jump between both Cooperu and UQ over the last couple of years. So there's a lot at stake for this, these two sides. Sunday afternoon fixture, um, match of the round. Hopefully it'll be a pearl. Well, Aaron, thank you very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, and we look forward to catching up with you next week when we review Round 12 of the QWAFL. Thanks, Peter, as always. Having a look at what happened in the UNSW Canberra First Grade Women's Competition over the weekend where they had a round eight of competition. Ainsley, three straight 18, defeated by Quimby in 5-7-37. Tugranong, two behinds, went down to Balconnen, 17-9-111. Eastlake, 4-12-36, defeated Gungahlin, five behinds. To round nine action being played this weekend on Saturday, 30th of June, 12 p.m., Adero Lornesta, Belconnen host Eastlake at Allensure Park, 4 p.m. Quimbian host Gungarlan and Sunday, 11.30 a.m. at Grinway Oval, Tugranong host Ainsley. In the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division, Lauren Hodgson's still away on holiday, so I'll just quickly go through the scores for you. Round 10 played over the weekend. Western Wolves, 9-12-66, defeated the Sydney Uni Bombers, 3 straight 18. Southern Power, 2-9-21, went down to the Auburn Penrith Giants, 4-3-27. The UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs, 2-7-19, 
defeated by UTS Shamrocks 6-3-39. And Macquarie University 3-3-21 defeated the Newtown Breakaways 2-4-16. Looking ahead to round 11 and uh, all games being played on Saturday 30th of June. 11.50, pardon me, 10.50 a.m. That's kicking the jaw off the grass at Trumper Park. UTS Shamrocks hosts the Orbit Penrith Giants at 11.50 a.m. at University Oval Macquarie University. The Mac Uni Warriors host the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs. Western Wolves host Southern Power at Pick and Oval, 1 p.m. and 2.30 p.m. at Sydney Uni Oval, number one. Sydney Uni hosts the Newtown Breakaways. Time to find out what's happening with women's football internationally. First of all, we head over to the AFL London Women's Competition. Just the one game played over the weekend. And do keep us up to date on what happened there. We've got on the line the coach of the Wandsworth Demons and England Vixens in Mitch Scully. Mitch, how are you? I'm great. Yeah, good to chat footy as always. Great to have you on the line, but only one game to chat about for the weekend just passed due to the uh, round four split round in the Women's Premiership and your Wandsworth Demons had a bit of a comfortable one over the end against the Wimbledon Hawks. 12-14-86 to one behind. Yeah, it was a bit of a tough old game for the Hawks, um, but credit to them because at one point last week they only had 14 or 15 players available, um, but then they just keep pushing and pushing to, you know, get put the feelers out there and uh, ended up with, I think, 20 or 21. And out of that number, they had 15 non-Australian players. So that's, in London, normally you have a, there's probably the other way around, you might have six or seven non-Aussies, but um, yeah, three, two-thirds, three-quarters of their team non-Aussies, that was awesome for them. Um, part of their team on the weekend was uh, Poppy Cleal, who's an international rugby player for England, so she was really good. Um, unfortunately, Lisa Wilson, who's one of their gun players, she got injured in the first quarter. So, yeah, after them, um, it was after the first quarter, it was really all the demons. Caitlin Spud McKenzie, she was best on ground with four goals. Uh, Linda Connolly, Sophie Croft, Vicky Liv, all looking dangerous up forward. So, yeah, obviously a good day for us. Um, it was great just to get a game in eighteen aside, given the Hawks were struggling during the week. And uh, that name familiar, Linda Connolly, star Irish Banshees footballer. Yeah, so Linda's um, one of our Irish, but Linda and also Honora Mulcahy. She was the captain of Ireland last year, or one of the captains. Um, Linda, she missed the first half of the season. Um, she had a few other things on with travel, that sort of thing. Um, but she's come back and then had a really good game on the weekend. And Honora, uh, she's been out injured since the preseason cup, but we're hoping to get her back just in time for finals. So that's exciting to get our little Irish contingent back up and running. And let's have a look at the table for the uh, women's premiership five sides in there. And uh, the top three, a bit of a tussle at the moment for supremacy. Yeah, so we've got the, the Demons. Uh, we're on five from five now uh, with over a 1,000 percentage. So that's that's pretty, yeah, well, happy with that. Um, then we've got the Lions and the West London Wildcats both on three wins. Um, the Lions have got them covered on percentage. Uh, I think it's about 200 and something to the, the Wildcats, about 80%. Then we've got in fourth spot, holding on to fourth spot because it's the top four finals series. Uh, Wimbledon Hawks on one win and then still sort of languishing at the bottom, uh, South London Giants on zero wins. I think everyone's played five games except for the Giants, who have only played the four. So still plenty of chances for them to put a couple of wins on the board and uh, get that fourth spot for the finals. So cross fingers for the South East London Giants that they can pick up a win at some stage. Uh, looking across to the women's uh, conference table, and it's just a win in it between top and bottom. Yeah, so this is really exciting with four games to go. Uh, one win in percentage separating the sides. So we've got 
Demons on top with three wins, 117%. Uh, the Swans on three wins, 85%. Then we go down to the Magpies, who are only on two wins, but have the highest percentage of 156. And the Wildcats, uh, two wins and 72%. So anything's possible here. And when we do look at the games, we'll see that um, hypothetically, if the Cats and the Magpies win this weekend, we'll have all four sides on the same amount of wins. So, yeah, it's a... It's a huge weekend in that division. It could really um, sort of set things up for a couple of sides or bring two other sides back to equal uh, points. So it's massive. So let's preview this weekend's footy. Uh, who plays who, first of all, in the women's premiership? All right, in the premiership. So we talked about the Giants uh, being winless. Unfortunately, they're coming up against the Demons, who haven't lost yet. Uh, so it doesn't get any easier for them at the moment. Um, but obviously... Knowing, knowing the Demons well. I know we've got quite a few players out. It's the sort of mid-season when people go on a few holidays. So, you know, it gives the Giants a chance. Um, but I'd say, you know, we're confident if we can stick to our structures that we should hopefully get away with a win there. The other game is the one that's really interesting. Uh, the two teams that are on three wins. So it's the Wildcats, who are currently third, hosting the Lions, who are currently second. Um, the percentage is quite a lot higher for the Lions at the moment, but the Wildcats we've seen steadily improving throughout the course of the season. So they'll be hoping to get an upset today, or sorry, not today, on Saturday uh, on their home ground. I think the big matchup will be how Zali Tuvi, who's the Wildcats sort of prime midfielder, goes against the likes of Laura Ramadan Turner and Kylie Russo from the Lions in the midfield. Uh, if the Wildcats can get on top in the midfield, they've got a couple of dangerous forwards, so that would be a chance. But if the Lions get on top, I think they'll be too good. Across to the conference table where they've got those two big games which could see everyone level should it go that way. Yeah, so it's 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 half a chance as well. So Putney, who are currently third, hosted Demons who are currently first. Um, last time they met, Putney beat the Demons. Um, so yeah, with a, with a strong squad available for Putney, uh, that's it's more than likely. It's a very good possibility that will happen. They're hosting the game. Um, the key battle will be. Dee Kelly, the punting ruck first. Claudia Flynn from the Demons. Again, whoever gets on top of the midfield, I think that that might decide the game. Uh, but I expect that one will really come down to the wire. And the other game in that division is, again, it's the Swans who are on three wins versus the Wildcats who are on two wins. But last time they played, the Wildcats gave the Swans a real touch-up. Um, so... Yeah, anything's possible. I think with the Wildcats having two games this weekend, it will be a bit harder to spread their numbers across both games. Um, and my tip would be that the flag, my flag favourites, the Swans, will get up. But yeah, looking at form, there's every chance after this weekend we'll have four teams at level pegged on uh, wins with just a bit of percentage of dividing them all up. Well, Mitch, thank you very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, and we look forward to catching up with you next week as we review another round of AFL London Women's League. Pleasure as always. Speak next week, Pete. Now we jump back across the Atlantic to find out what's been happening in the United States Australian Football League. The Eastern Regionals were held in Philadelphia over the weekend, and to fill us in on everything that happened, we've got on the line the USAFL media manager, the American BT in Brian Barish. Brian, how are you? Good day, Peter. How are you? Great to have you on the line. Good to hear that you've still got your voice after what's been a big Eastern Regionals tournament in your backyard in Philadelphia. Yeah, it was a great weekend. Um, probably one of the best regionals we've had in the Eastern, uh, Eastern Regional in some time. 
the weather held off for us. Uh, it did affect some of the games, a little bit of a downpour here and there, but there were no thunderstorms. That was the big worry. And most importantly, very competitive games on the women's side. Yes, let's have a look at that women's fixture. The Eastern Regionals, of course, are covering those on essentially the east coast of the United States. Uh, To be fair, probably more the northeast corridor. Yes, for the most part. it's uh, We had the Boston and Baltimore-Washington, the Baltimore Dockers and the D.C. Eagles. They're still together as the Baltimore-Washington Lady Eagles. So they combined as one side. The Columbus Cats, uh, formerly the Columbus Jillaroos, teamed up with the Philadelphia Hawks to form a second side. And the New York Magpies sending 22 players strong to compete as the third team. And, of course, uh, a few extra nicknames on the weekend because of the combination of the Lady Eagles and Boston Demons that were known as the Lady Deagles. And the best one yet, because Columbus have now been renamed as the Cats and they teamed up with Philadelphia, the nickname Kitty Hawks was used. Yeah, I like that. And the funny thing is, is I'm actually talking to you from Virginia Beach, which is not terribly far from Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, where, of course, the Wright brothers uh, had their first flight in 1903. But I really like that. I was I was trying to think of what to call them, and they actually succeeded in, in trumping my, any creativity that I could have come up with. That was fantastic. So let's have a look at the format of the tournament. It was all held on one day. Obviously, the men's had their uh, tournament going on at the same time. But for the women, I believe it was a round-robin plus a grand final? Well, it was actually uh, just a straight round-robin. But what ended up happening was that uh, the uh, New York Magpies and the Lady Deagles combination both won their game earlier in the day against uh, the Kitty Hawks, if you will, uh, earlier so that set up what essentially was a virtual grand final between the two teams in the afternoon now had it been a a draw it would have favored new york as they had a bigger margin of victory in their game they actually had defeated the kitty hawks by 32 points whereas the lady deagles had only won by 14. and let's kick off by having a look at those games and particularly the performance of uh, the Columbus and Philadelphia Kitty Hawks. We know that Philadelphia had some success with Portland at the Nationals. At the Nationals, Columbus have struggled over the years. They have, and and coming into this year, the the big question would be how would they do uh, without Katrina Scherer, who right now is actually playing. Uh, she's in Queensland for a couple of months at Bond University, and then when she comes back, she's going to play for the LA Dragons. But the thing to remember is that this Columbus side does have players that have extensive, not only domestic experience, but national experience as well. Uh, Amy Berniarski played really well on the weekend, uh, as did uh, Chris well, Wynn, who uh, was not a Liberty player, but I think the player that Danny Seow and company could keep on their radar. She played very well out of the halfback line, was able to spring a couple of chances. Uh, Stephanie McKittrick, who plays defensively uh, normally as the fullback, because that combination had a really an overabundance of defensive players, we saw her up in the forward line uh, from time to time, and she was good at at least clearing out some of the balls. Um, the interesting thing is the Philadelphia side as well. Uh, we mentioned, as you mentioned, Peter, they teamed with Portland last year uh, to win the Division II National Championships. Uh, four out of the five players were there, two, of course, being Amy Arundel and 
Erica Saki, who both went to the to Australia last August as part of the USA Liberty Tour. But they also have two players that didn't play for most of last season. One actually is brand new for this year. Jackie Kershaw, who uh, is a fairly athletic and also hadn't really played in the ruck before. She ended up playing in the ruck for the Kitty Hawk combination and did very well against uh, two uh, rucks that uh, are fairly experienced, one of them being uh, Natalie Wolf. Uh, from the uh, from the New York Magpies, a national team player. Uh, and then the other one was Lindsay Turtz. This was her first full game of footy, and she uh, wrote for the most part, played on the wing, and she showed a lot of speed and a lot of courageousness to go in after the ball. Uh, the first game saw the uh, DC Eagles uh, combination, the Lady Eagles win 16-2, and then later on the uh, Magpies beat them 35-3. to And even though they didn't get on the major goal-kicking sheet, they played, I think they played very well. They, they stymied both teams for long periods of time to prevent them from getting offensive chances. I think the one thing that they lack is a scoring finish. And this was something that, in talking to the players afterwards, uh, they they agreed with that sentiment. I think that the idea is, is they, they lack a little bit of speed and not only that, but they get sucked in on the defensive side. So they don't really have a whole lot in transition, but they're still growing. And I think that if they have a more fuller side, as we get closer to nationals, uh, that will eventually sort itself out. So it came down to the final game being between the New York Lady Magpies and the Baltimore Washington Eagles combined with Boston. Just to give everyone a picture, New York over the last couple of years have been at the lower end of the Division One table when it comes to nationals, but still an experienced side. Baltimore Washington Eagles uh, have been getting a fair old touch-up at the nationals over the last couple of years. So on paper, when you look at that, New York would have been favourites going into that game. And not only that, but they brought a lot of their veterans with them. I mentioned Wolf. Uh, they also had Grace Coplo, who, uh, if you are familiar with the, with the Magpies women, she is, uh, uh, I think, a, a, a multi-talented defensive back. She wins a lot of balls. She also is a very ferocious tackler. And then two of the best defensive players in the game in uh, Drea Casillas, who is in season number 14 in the USAFL, and Taylor Davidson, Long-time uh, San Francisco Iron Maiden spent the last couple of years in New York. But the thing is, is that as as much as they had in terms of uh, newer players in this Lady Deagle side, they also had uh, a number of veterans. Uh, of course, Alex Mims Pike, uh, longtime uh, Lady Eagles player, and also on the USA Liberty and USA Freedom, as well as Karen Stablin from the defensive side, and also. Uh, Molly Halberstadt as well, who's relatively new to the game. Uh, but she has really been on fire, as has Marion uh, Mater. And those two, especially at last year's regionals and at nationals, really impressed me. The one person that was missing from this, Peter, was Kalen Deal, longtime uh, captain and fullback from the Boston Demons, uh, the Boston Lady Demons. And she actually announced her retirement a little earlier on, uh, actually two weeks ago, following another her second uh, ACL tear, and having talked to her, she, you know, obviously it was devastating news for her. It was a really tough decision. However, uh, she stepped up and coached this team, and considering that 
there were only four Boston players compared to the 15 or 16 from, from Baltimore and D.C. The fact that uh, she got this far, that this team got this far and put themselves in a position to to win the grand final and, and win the grand final, it, it goes to her free knowledge and to her as a person. Absolutely. And those that want to can go to facebook.com forward slash USAFL. And there's uh, the mobile video up of the second half, which you can watch back. Because going into that second half of that final game, New York led by a point, And they well and truly could have parked the bus and sat on their lead. Instead, it was end-to-end football. And it almost seemed like New York were going to pull ahead until the Lady Deagles scored one from out of nowhere. Well, the first half, which is actually, if they go on to uh, Facebook.com slash USAFL, the first half is up there, too. Uh, at least I hope it is, uh, uh, you know. Uh, but in, in any event, it was one to nothing at, at halftime. And the funny thing about this, Peter, is that uh, D.C. came out on the front foot and really kind of took the Magpies back. The Magpies were going on about two hours rest. Uh, meanwhile, the uh, Lady Eagles were going on about five hours rest because of the format of the tournament. But and they came out the fresher side. The Magpies worked the ball down. They were able to get the one point on a Natalie Wolf miss. But then the Lady Eagles really got on the front foot. They weren't able to score, but you got the sense that if they could keep up the momentum, uh, then they would eventually make the breakthrough. Well, the interesting part was is that after the Magpies got that point, uh, Natalie Wolf went down with, a, with an injury and she was out for the rest of the first half and the first part of the second half as well. And that really actually almost seemed to energize the Magpies. But we talked about some of these new players that the Eagles had. Kirsten Lowe, uh, who had not played even much in terms of the Metro footy, uh, she came in. This was her first competitive match. She was in on the fullback, and during the course of the game, she must have taken about 10 or 11 absolutely key marks in the last line of defense. Um, I mentioned Marion Mater. There were a couple of players on the Boston side. The four players that they that they brought, Katie Ree, you know, she's still uh, 19 or 20 years old. She is very, very fast. Uh, they also picked up uh, Michaela Howmeet, uh, who actually played for uh, Sandringham and their women's, their girls' youth program as well. Uh, she's over uh, with her with her family, and uh, she, again, a, a teenage player, relatively young, and she brought a lot of energy to the game as well. The Eagles, the Lady Eagles, were able to tie the score at one. And the game was seemingly a tug of war. And as I mentioned earlier, because of the percentage, a tie would not have helped Lady Deagles. They had to win outright. About midway through the second half, Grace Coplow came off for the blood rule. She had suffered, uh, I think, a cut or something around her ear. And not 30 seconds later, uh, the, the Lady Deagles got the first goal. And a great work by, uh, by Anderson, who got the ball to Marion Mater who found a cutting Alex Mims pike, the slot home, the first goal. And you almost got the sense like that was a punch in the gut that the Magpies were going to come back and tie it and eventually take the lead. But the defense was completely held up. And again, Lowe made a couple of uh, key marks 
They were able to work the ball down a, a couple of times. They saved off every chance, every time Wolf got the footy, every time that uh, Casillas tried to run up and start something from her half-back position to come through, every time Al- uh, Claire Algazin had the football, any time that Lawrence Ganeshi had the football. And these are dangerous players. The, the defensive side held up for the Lady Eagles. Towards the end of the game, they got the ball down in transition after the Magpies had pushed up and Nims Pike got her second of the game. Uh, and, and also Karen Stablin as well uh, helped on the defensive side. As I mentioned, it was a great mixture of some of these veterans, and it was great to see players like Stablin and like uh, Kalen Deal on the coaching side and like Nims Pike who have been around this game five, six, seven, eight years and who – have played this New York side, and today finally were able to get, on this day, were able to get the victory. Uh, Mims Pike was awarded the best and fairest of the tournament, not only for her performance in the first game, but especially for the performance in the second game. And that, I guess, is a key question. How emotional were those Lady Deagles players to overcome that great hurdle of beating a D1 side like New York? You know what? I, there was a lot of excitement about it, and I I would be lying if I would say that there weren't a couple of happy tears flowed at that, especially, again, considering the history. I mean, and Kalen actually had used to play for uh, the then Baltimore-Washington Lady Eagles, so she knows, uh, you know, a, a lot of these players and, and uh, really kind of understands what it meant to, to, to win that game. I, it was a very emotional victory for, like I said, the veterans, but I also think that a lot of the newer players, they had been hearing about how tough New York was going to be and for them to get that victory, you know, I, it's, it's not only a big win for them, but I think in the overall landscape of women's footy, if we can have another team, if we can see another team like Baltimore, Washington and, and Boston as well, uh, grow over the next couple of years, you know, we're talking about Division One at Nationals, and, and they are all full sides. Something like this might help some of these newer players stick around and maybe recruit new players. And they'll, if not this year, but going forward in future years, be able to bring a full side of 20-plus players at Nationals. It, it's, it's a very big win in the larger context of things. And talking about the larger context of things moving on from the Nationals, uh, I believe news coming out of Illinois. Yes, the Chicago Swans officially announcing that uh, they are uh, forming a women's program. Now, they've had unofficially uh, one player in recent years, Amy McGinnis, uh, who actually just moved to Toronto. And she's playing, she actually played for the Toronto High Park Demons in the recent uh, Montreal Women's Tournament, but they announced on their Facebook, and uh, keep an eye out on USFL.com, uh, we will repeat the announcement that uh, they are officially forming the women's side. Um, Chicago has been around since 1998. Uh, they're a, a very hardy club in a sense that they've had to go through a lot of challenges in a, in a very, very big city, the third largest market, TV market in the United States. Uh, but they... Uh, are really seizing this opportunity. Uh, one of the players that is there right now is Claudia Hendershaw, who used to play for the San Francisco Iron Maidens. Uh, she is a Chicago native. Uh, Becca Quinn, who I believe she's from Western Australia, is another player as well that helped form this. So 
the good news is, is going into the net, you know, they're not that far away. It's going to be about an hour away from them and racing Wisconsin for nationals. And uh, if they can get a handful of players to help in on a division two side, uh, I think that will be a real shot in the arm as well. Absolutely. And plenty of football action happening in North America over the coming four weeks. Uh, we speak of the Centrals in Nashville, the Western Regionals in Sacramento, and uh, this weekend coming up, football action in Canada. Yes, the uh, AFL Canada National Championships is going underway. Now, their Nationals is a little bit different from ours and the U.S. AFL. Uh, their teams are uh, put together by uh, uh, provincial divisions as well. Uh, it's a little bit different because each province kind of has their own program. Uh, British Columbia, Alberta, Ontario, Quebec, and the Maritime Provinces, Nova Scotia, and uh, Newfoundland have their own. Uh, just in looking at the teams, I think that and having seen the last Nationals that they had a couple of years ago, uh, the other the other side of this, Peter, is unlike ours where pretty much anyone can play, this is limited to just Canadian Nationals players. And I think this is a great tool not only for development uh, locally, but this is also a chance for the national team selectors, including Coach Jason Arnold, to see uh, you know, who he'll have in the coming years as we're, we enter this next International Cup cycle out of 2020. Well, Brian, thank you very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to catching up with you soon as we review more North American women's football. Anytime, Pete. Thanks a lot. Well, that wraps things up here on Women's Australian Rules Football and RSN Carnival for yet another week. A friendly reminder that this radio program airs Wednesday evening, 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time on RSN Carnival Digital Radio in Melbourne and on the RSN Racing and Sport app. You can also listen via rsn.net.au forward slash digital hyphen radio. Otherwise, you can download this program as a podcast from Thursday mornings by simply going to Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from, you've just got to search for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. You can find us on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash WARF radio or facebook.com forward slash WARF radio. And don't forget this Sunday, the 1st of July from 1 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, we're bringing you the VFL Women's Round 8 clash between the Western Bulldogs and Geelong at Mars Stadium in Ballarat. Until then, I'm Peter Holden, and it's bye for now.